0: Hello, and welcome to episode 257 of SMARTS, which as you know, stands for Sadly Mourning Adira Receives Trill Symbiote.
1: (gasps) Wow, good one.
0: My name is Brother Q Podcaster, aka Trevor, and your name is?
1: Julia Guglia of Internet Fame, dash podcaster. Correct. The first bit of news is that you forgot the word Episode. (laughs) In the intro, you said "hello and welcome to episode." No, you said "hello and welcome to 257 of Smarts."
0: Time for any sort of niceties. We got (laughs) absolutely no news this week. Let's
1: fast track this.
0: (laughs) No news this week. No
1: news this week.
0: (laughs) What was your comic of the week? I picked, or as I call it, your of the week.
1: (laughs) My of the week was comic was. um, See, you messed me up. The missing words. I need them there. Uh, Hawkman.
0: The nope that's your comic of the week for next week oh
1: whoopsie <laughs> and then i don't remember hellblazer that's right hellblazer i don't remember what number but hellblazer it was great colon. the um the, um help help, <laughs> <Hellblazer>, help. <laughs> i'm looking at you Number am like, help. help
0: hellblazer rise and fall number two that's from the DC one. Black Label.
1: That's right. How, how did you Redden know? Written by Tom
0: Taylor and illustrated by Derek Robertson.
1: <laughs> that's the very same. I see. Uh huh. It was. <laughs> it was very good. It was really funny. It was really sad. It was really clever. I love the art. I like the the story and where it's going. Um, it's just it just continues to be awesome. So I mean, short story. That's why I picked it for my comic of the week. <laughs> um, that's all I got to say about it. I just really enjoyed it thoroughly. So. Go read it. I understand. (laughs) Okay. What did you pick?
0: I picked Young Justice number 20. Excellent. So um, I think this was a really good ending to the series. This was the final issue. I'm sure there'll be some sort of relaunch next year, if not with this exact same configuration of characters, then something, because I think, you know, they've discovered that there's value in this IP after all, having this, this, you know, group of characters together. Um, The series for me was sort of like a mixed bag because I did feel like, there were periods when not much was happening, and the characters were just mostly talking about things as opposed to doing things. And I don't really know if the whole twenty issues sort of hung together with any sort of overriding theme or arc or whatever. Um, but there were there were a lot of fun moments, and I think this this final issue was had a lot of fun to it, and um, it sort of sets up. I mean, I would uh, after this issue, it's like I would like to read more like this, like them setting up in Mount Justice again yeah. and being like more of like an officially recognized team. Mm-hmm. Um, this really, I mean, I didn't read the original Young Justice run by Peter David and, and Todd Knock, but of course, the this evokes the cartoon quite a bit too, because it, it was based yeah. in part on that. So them operating out of the old Mount Justice Happy Harbor location and Red Tornado being their den mother and so mm-hmm. on, that was all taken for the show from that run of the comic. So it sort of seems familiar from that too. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so it was it was a really nice conclusion and the characters, you know, sort of, They all stand up for Teen Lantern. Yeah. uh, And they all sort of come together, and the art is really nice, and there's some fun little character moments, and it's a a nice ending. I just feel like the series on a whole didn't quite deliver on a lot of what it promised. Like, all sort of the mysteries and, and arcs that it set up were just like, oh, it's pretty much like the least interesting explanation. Like, they don't remember each other because of multiverse weirdness. Like, that didn't require 12 issues of of lead up like that's kind of what everybody would just assume was the Mm -hmm. case like you lead us on for a year we're going to assume there's a bigger mystery than that and it turned out no it's just because you know continuity Mm -hmm. changed and they don't remember each other anymore it's like yeah that's what you know Mm -hmm. that's that's what we thought like that's not you didn't need to make that the big overriding mystery of the series yeah um but it was it was this particular issue was really well done so i'm going to give it to it yep So for our activity this week, Uh um, following on from last week where we ranked the uh, members of the 8th MS team, Uh from Mobile Suit Gundam, the 8th MS team, (laughs) I thought we we would rank other characters from Mobile Suit Gundam, the 8th MS team. Okay. Those that are not in the 8th MS team. I see. Do you understand?
1: Like Geeky and her dad who exploded. (laughs) Yes. And um, other people
0: of note. Other characters that exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Some may char- or
1: may not have exploded. Five
0: out of five explosions. <laughs> um, so the characters that I will
1: we'll boom again. The
0: characters that I've chosen to list here are Aina Sahalin, Genius Sahalin, Kiki Rosita, uh-huh. Norris Packard, which is uh, Ina's sort of attendant slash father oh, figure, yeah. and then the kids from the epilogue episode, the creepy, oh. the creepy kids in the woods, the creepy new type kids. Okay,
1: you don't have to list them because they're literally named after everybody else. Got it.
0: True. That's true.
1: Um, okay. I
0: realize this is an eclectic assortment of characters. Are you, are characters you asking are certainly... me
1: to rank all of the kids individually, or are you yes. asking them rank to rank
0: every single kid?
1: Or are they one group?
0: This is going to be a list of twenty. No, it's it's one group. So that's those. Okay. Ina, Guineas, Kiki, Norris, and the kids.
1: Yeah. So Ina is my number one because she's great. She's a really nice, complicated character, but um, strong, but also really kind and. Is like one of the two hearts of the show, and without her, it just wouldn't be much of a show.
0: I think what's what's interesting about her is that she would, her her characterization and her arc would seem sort of almost cliche and stereotypically, quote unquote, female. Like mm-hmm. as the as the fe- oh, of course she's the the woman in the show, so she's the one that doesn't want to fight and wants everybody to be happy right. and get along. And yes, except for the fact that that. She and Shiro are sort of like identical in that way, yeah. and so it's not; it doesn't become about so much her being a woman as mm-hmm. it does the two of them being the odd persons sp- out on their yep. respective kindred sides spirits. and kindred spirits to yeah. each other. Exactly. So that that kind of helps it overcome that what seems like oh well she's the well yeah
1: you know, they, they push the stereotypes. Well, she's a, a talented. Bit, but they also, she's a very highly skilled exactly. t- test
0: pilot in in, in her own I'm right. That's what I'm saying.
1: Exactly. She's a she's a skilled pilot. Um, And like you said, it really has very little to do with her gender, even though the show is full of gender norms. They're not the central point of the plot. Although she
0: does constantly get stranded and need to be rescued by very... That happens like three times over the course of the show, but so Um, does Shira. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's what I was about to say. Like, she she (laughs) saved him from freezing to death. They're
0: equally incompetent.
1: Yeah. Well, they just got strings of bad luck and they help each other through. I think that was the idea, is that they, they literally multiple times that they came together their multiple dates that made them fall in love in the first place were situations where it was life or death and they banded together to get through but they didn't mind banding together because of how they were wired and that was the whole point of the show is that it's just it's it's better to connect on a human level than it is to try to fight everything and,
0: and her characterization is really strong at the end when she stands up to her brother like the only family she yeah. she's known for a long time and and opposes him you know is willing to yeah. fight back against him you know to try to achieve you know peace and understanding and everything.
1: Right. Like you don't get what we're what we're about and I'm not going along with this anymore because this is just slaughter now. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah. Let's see who's next. Kiki. Kiki's next because she is more of a I mean, she's portrayed more of as a tomboy kind of kid.
0: Yeah, she's the spunky kid character of yeah. the show, but they give I mean, her some she's good got characterization. So much heart. Yeah. Like the midpoint episode where she goes on the mission with the others and mm-hmm. you sort of discover that she has feelings for Shiro. And then the episode where her, her town kind of gets destroyed and she gets injured and her dad dies. And then the final right. epilogue episode where she and um, Mikael are searching for the two of them. Yeah. yeah.
1: She is strong. She is smart. She is funny. And even in that post, that epilogue. Supposedly, this is years later, and she didn't change much. You know, she's not like out there wearing lipstick or anything like that. Like, I'm not sure it's supposed to be her years, character a, seems a, a to,
0: year, a year at most. Well, I think. at
1: least I mean, she's supposed it's to probably be probably
0: a date somewhere in the supplemental material,
1: right? But she's not interested in any of those. I, I appreciated that they didn't they didn't make her a girly girl just because she got. Older and uh, supposedly was ebbing into womanhood or whatever Like that nonsense that they sometimes do with all the girl characters in this series Um, I appreciated that they didn't do that to her and I think that that is nice because it adds to her uniqueness It's she's just not interested in that stuff. And that's totally okay. And she's wonderful. She's Competent. She's strong. She has a strong moral character. She cares about other people Um, She's just a great person and I like her, so she's, she's, without her, the show would also kind of suck, so, um, yeah, she's my number two, and then who, everybody else is just bringing up the rear, (laughs) um, let's see, who, who are the other people, um, Norris, Norris is my number three, he's so great, because he's kind, but he's also got, like, the singular focus on helping, um, Ina and her, just he was he was just being kind for kindness sake but also not super concerned he was concerned with honor and he was concerned with what he was doing but he was not really out to kill people for killing people's sake like a lot of the zeon people were all i'm not about. sure if
0: it's a if it's a gundam trope or or like an anime trope or just like a maybe it's like a storytelling trope but they're usually the bad like the the bad guy whether they're supposed to be sympathetic or not mm-hmm. usually has like a faithful attendant or faithful yes. retainer or like older surrogate big brother or father figure that is like super loyal and like um is all about duty and honor yeah. and often ends up sacrificing themselves like yeah i think they often they do that as a way of showing that there's you know there's moral people even in Xeon, you know yes. who believe in what they're doing even if the people <laughs> running the Principality of Zeon are like tyrannical fascists. Yeah. There's people there that honestly think they're fighting for the independence yeah. of their homeland or, you know, so on and so forth. So I think it's always, you know, it's good to have him in there and have him being, have it, having him be like an ace yeah. who has that awesome fight scene. Like probably one of the best fight scenes in all of Gundam, that one where he takes on the entire team plus a couple of gun cannons or gun tanks, I should say, single handedly yeah. in like the penultimate episode. Um, just to try to help his the wounded from his side get away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a really good episode, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just loved his episode. That that fight scene was just the best. I would curse on this show, but I would want to bleep it out and edit. <laughs> um, it was just so good. And then I like... I got to say, um, I like the kids a lot better than I like Gineas because he was kind of two-dimensional. Like, he was just... A scientist, but then he was turned sociopath. And so, you don't know if that's his medical disorder that's causing it, or you don't know if that's just his personality. <laughs> and... Clini-
0: he was diagnosed with clinical supervillainy. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> Terminal, so I, was, afraid. I was, I was yes. thinking about this earlier, and I think that it actually was smart to write him that way because... Hmm. There there are certain Gundam shows where you want like a really fleshed out three-dimensional antagonist like you know Char would be the yes. the, the but even like Zex or I'm trying to think some of the some of the other like um uh, even like Katagina or someone in, in V Gundam you know characters that you can sort yes. of like you're not quite sure which way they're going to go or they or they you know right. they used to be on one side then they're on the other or they have moral qualities or are honorable but I think that this show wasn't really about as much as it was about like there, everybody on both sides just being people and about seeing the humanity in each other, yeah, it wasn't really about good. It wasn't really about the bad guys, right? Really, yeah. And it was more just about like our our good guy characters, yeah. and how they can change and how they changed and how they changed how they viewed the enemy and how right. Ina was like part of the enemy and how she changed how she viewed, you know, our guys, their enemy, right? It wasn't really about oh, let's have the super let's have a, a villain character who's like super empathetic because I feel like that would have that would have taken up that would have eaten up too much time it wasn't really about yeah a really charismatic interesting villain character you didn't need that in this story right the villain in this the the real the real villain in the story is war like the concept of war yes. I mean that's the main yes. villain in all of Gundam really but and so I think that what what you want here is a character like him who that is al- who's who who almost cartoonishly over the top and like the evil things that he does especially uh-huh. as the series progresses yeah because that's just supposed to show like how absurdly brutal and indiscriminately evil war can be yeah. right and so you want a character who exemplifies that mm-hmm. if the ca- if if her brother had been like a char type right i feel like that would have made the series less strong
1: Yes, you know, you're right. because it's,
0: it wouldn't be about our guys trying to stand up to the evils of war, it would have been about our guys trying to like save or understand the villain, and right. that's not what this is about. Right, you want someone who embodies all of the worst aspects exactly. of humanity and, and of their warlike nature.
1: Sadly, most of the people in power in term in, in war terms because he wasn't the only one, you saw that the side, uh, HMS. Oh, they were fighting with well, the, the federa- rebels, the, the federation, federation. the go. federation
0: general, whatever was, right. was every, every bit, every bit is, well, the, the guy that was like the commander that was in yeah. charge of the 8th MS right. team, Right, the, the one that the hit mustache, on she was, Shiro. yeah, but the the guy that was in charge of the 8th, 8th MS team, he actually ended up being a good guy by the end, but it was yes. his commanding officer that right. was like, exactly. no, kill, you know, kill everybody.
1: Yeah, but, and that, that orary of, uh, of, of. Faces making decisions during his court martial. I mean, they weren't exactly
0: yeah, they examples
1: were. of, um, you know, uh, humanity. But I feel right like they—they
0: they gave Guineas enough characterization, enough backstory, so that he's he doesn't seem like just a cardboard cutout. Like right. the, like he's got this illness. He clearly cares about his, his sister. sister. There was this thing where, like, their their mother left them or died when they were young. And so mm-hmm. he's had, like, this, you know, and you, and you can kind of tell, like, growing up without responsibility and, like, the very heart. And you see them growing up and they're, like, a stone's throw away from the big, creepy Zeon castle. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he probably grew up in the heart of it. He was, like, raised as this nobility, like, yeah. but, like really as part of the Zeon culture. And he would have, like, he's a true believer in it. And, and like, he's yeah. not a fighter because he's too, because of his illness, presumably. Right. But he can, the way well, he's a contributes scientist and he's a scientist. And right. he loses sight of, of, like, the human aspect because he's all about the science, the science and the technology. Yeah. Like, there's enough there to hang a character around that he doesn't, you don't roll your eyes when he comes on screen, but it's not about making him a, a super fleshed out, yeah. fleshed out character. And like he, he in would. fact,
1: he goes off the deep end and, and justly so. Like, because a lot of the like other series, described. you
0: spend as much time with right. the villain. Like, with you spend it almost as much time with Char. Oh, he disappears for parts of the original series, but during the, this, chunks of the story that he's a major player in you spend as much time with him as you do with Amro almost right and then there's enti- there's a you know Zeta Gundam he's one of the you know he's yeah. there and Amuro's not like you, he gets probably more screen time over the course of the franchise than Amro does right um, but you don't you don't I don't really really feel like you need that here so I think he I think he was he was a good character in that he served he was exactly what
1: he needed to be what
0: the villain for the story needed to be
1: right that said I like the kids better <laughs> <laughs> All that said, um, if, if I'm just looking purely at the character, I like the character of the kids better than I like the character of the uh, of the Gineas of the you know sociopathic mass murderer. The kids kind of Gynias. the kids
0: are kind of irritating because they're a little mean, irritating. They're, with their they're kids. They're sympathetic, but but at the same token, like
1: I we, don't know. I'm a mom. I'm always as, gonna as like it. <laughs>
0: as as the audience is, the odds are kind of stacked against them for the audience because the audience wants Kiki and Mikel to find. Shiro. Yeah. Cuz we want to see that reunion. Yep. And we've got to sit through 30 minutes of these kids being obstinate and not telling them what they know.
1: Uh, you know, for understandable reasons. Yeah, exactly but I was about to say. But it's
0: like <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like we we Like tell us. We we, we want to know too. And if not for these kids, you know, if right. these kids would just be a bit more mature and, you know, Okay. They would well, have found
1: Okay, so your ranking is different than mine, but I I'm sorry. I I like the
0: kids. Well, you've got them on the bottom either way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're number four instead of
0: five. Oh, you've got... So who have you got below that? Guineas. Yeah. Okay, so that's the only difference between our rankings then, I think. Yeah, I think I already explained all of my choices, but yeah. I mean, I understand the kids and the fact that there's like sort of like... Some of them, at least, are sort of creepy, ethereal new types. A little bit. Um... Is interesting because there's not really, there aren't really any new types anywhere else in the series. And so it's like a little bit of the bigger yeah. universe kind of appears right at the end, which is interesting. Yeah, um, But they're really just there to be like a storytelling roadblock for 25 minutes. Yep. Because, um, you know, we we're not going to see them again and they're not terribly interesting characters because there's like, there's too many of them and we, and we see them for too short a time to really get to know any of them. Especially, except maybe for like the main guy, but even then, just like we get, you know, the just the sort of the briefest I know, I mean, inkling you, of who he is.
1: I don't know why you threw in one episode versus an entire epi- uh, ep- entire series worth of
0: Cause whatever. Because screen- they probably get more screen time combined than any of the other characters in the show, aside from the ones we've already talked about. Except for like maybe the commander, Commander Kojima, but he's mm-hmm. not even really a character, even lesser than these kids are. So, Okay. Yeah. But that would be my ranking. Yeah, solid. So should we move on to our shows? Ready. So this week we have uh The Mandalorian yes. uh, and Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. So The Mandalorian, chapter ten, The Passenger. So, good. so this episode has kind of gotten mixed yeah. reviews. I can kind of see where they're coming from. To me, it's kind of like it actually does I was not surprised to see this was this was the run directed by Peyton Reed. Although I'm not really sure like the weaknesses of this episode are his fault because no, it's still written it's by writing. John Favreau. Right. But I but I think maybe a. Um, I don't want to see a better director because I, I really like his Ant-Man movies, but I feel like um, the ways in which his Ant-Man movies kind of feel kind of low stakes sometimes intentionally because it's supposed to be like sort of fun romps. Yeah. This kind of felt like it was... it, it There was like we sort of like quirky comedy moments yeah. uh, and slapsticky moments, but then it sort of tried to turn into like the sort of creature horror yeah. thing at the end. Yeah. And to me, like just tonally... It didn't. It, it didn't. Shift it it well. felt like too much of a shift, and and we talked about how there was like the episode kind of had like a bit of a saggy middle, uh-huh. where you know, and I, we we also talked about how it seems like the Mandalorian might be a secret narcoleptic, because there's literally three or four times in this episode where he tries to go to sleep or encourages others to go to sleep, or. You know starts to go to sleep, but then something wakes him. And I didn't I like, think That's of that. It's a lot of times to go. to, Like I get it. Like I he, under- just, he
1: still hasn't had a good nap for crying out loud. I Leave d- the man alone. But it's
0: like is that so? Was it was supposed to be f- like a funny runner that no. he keeps trying to sleep in the episode, but things keep happening.
1: No. But because no, that's kind not. of what it
0: came across as. Okay, like,
1: maybe to you, it didn't even occur to me. It didn't even occur. But if to you're like, watching an episode, man, start, some sleep.
0: if you're watching an episode of Star Trek Discovery, and like four times Burnham says, d- tries to go to sleep or goes to sleep and gets suddenly woken up or starts to tell other people how much they really should sleep, you'd be like, she's talking about sleep an awful lot. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it's the same. You know what I mean? It just this is kind of my
1: favorite episode, and th- this this isn't my favorite. Like it, like you said, it kind of feels like a saggy middle episode. Like it doesn't really have a lot of stuff going on like he crashes the ship then he crashes it again and it's kind of
0: it just felt like a it felt like a lot of things a lot of things thrown together. Like the the opening where yeah. he's beset by those couple of people who are like are they after the child, are they just after equipment to sell for money? Right. It's like a little unclear. And then like he dispatches them in like this comical slapstick way where Which he shoots great. the guy up into Yeah, but again it's like That was we, great. What do you want? these guys are supposed to be scary, but then he dispatches them in this funny way. Well, not and all then, of
1: them in the funny way, just the last guy. And then
0: that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. No. So that was like this weird, cold open yeah. that is completely divorced from everything else. And then there's the whole. Then he he takes on the the frog lady, and then there's a sequence in space with the frog lady, and they can't understand each other. And there's right. like a little bit of like communication comedy. And then the New Republic X wings come in, and he tries to get away from them. It's like, but is this is this supposed like thematically? What is this episode like? The last one with Cobb bands, right? Like very clear. It's about like under like yes br- bridging cultural gaps and working together for a common good, right? right. Like right. the Mandalorian comes to comes to understand and respect Cobb Vanth, Cobb Vanth and the villagers come to understand and respect the Tuscan Raiders and right. vice versa. Like that's what that episode. What is this one about? Is it about like, like the 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 because like is it about the New Republic versus the Mandalorian and like, or is it about the Mandalorian versus the spiders? And thematically, what yeah. is there? Any, there's not really anything going on there. It's just like a bunch of things that happened, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and that can kind of. And again, like it's written by Jon Favreau, but I feel like a different director, like maybe if he directed it, um, he would have been able to like better get across what he was going for. Maybe because obviously he's a very skilled writer and is great at writing episodes of this show. Maybe there was just something where it was like a director writer mismatch where Peyton Reed was trying to bring his more like um, more lighthearted slapstick Ant-Man chops to it, whereas Favreau was envisioning something darker. And you Uh, kind of got um, something that was like parts of both that didn't really go together.
1: I don't blame the tonal shifts. I actually kind of think that the material itself couldn't have been really directed in a dark way. Like, how do you, I, I, how do you propose directing the parts with the sleep and the parts with the eggs and the parts with the child eating the eggs in a more dark way? Like, I don't understand.
0: But apparently they they want the writing is the writing they wanted it to be funny and it was kind of like right stays as if it was supposed to be funny, but on the right. face of it, that's a horrifying thing to be happening. And I feel like, did did Favreau intend it to be horrifying? But then p- redirected it for for laughs. Like that's the kind. Of, like we don't we don't know. That's the kind of thing that I feel like was maybe a little bit of a incompatibility.
1: But why would it be horrifying?
0: Because he's eating her. He, he's her, eating her, her children. Unborn yeah, children. I, I was
1: not a fan of all that. <laughs> that was crazy. Like and that was a runner throughout the episode. Like if he had done it once to show that he was like siding with the dark side, that he felt like there was energy there that he wanted. I don't know. I'm not sure he's supposed to
0: read anything into like his Sith proclivities because he's showing down people, on know Some, some eggs.
1: people are. Some people are, because of him uh choking out Cara Dune in that last episode and, and you know, and he's a child and he's kind of he's a kid, so he's rebelling against stuff and he's being but but then, like, you know, he's he, being curious. He eats and the egg gets in and then trouble.
0: He, he goes to eat one of the eggs in the cave. Yeah. And, and he says no. And that ends up causing them trouble. Or were they, or, or were they no. going to hatch anyway? Like, but it's like, so is this episode trying to say, like, respect all life? But they end up blowing away all the spiders and frying them horribly. So, yeah. is, like, thematically, it's, it just seems like yeah. the, if there's a moral there or any sort of like, thematic through line, it just seems like it got, it kind of got, got lost with, like, by playing some things for laughs and other things not. It's just, just the sense I got it. But I, I did enjoy parts of like there was stuff to like in there.
1: I'm just saying that but, I don't think that it's a director's problem if the writing is a little confusing. I'm not
0: saying it's the director's fault. I'm Sorry, just saying that sometimes John
1: Favreau, I love you, but sometimes it didn't really make a lot of sense.
0: Sometimes you can get a really good director and a really good writer, but they're just not quite on the same page for whatever reason. And I and to me, that kind of feels like what this was like. Like they were tr- both they both had like a different episode envisioned in their heads and they kinda of ended up somewhere in the middle, but it doesn't really satisfy either either leaning, you know? That's just the sense I got. But there was a lot of good stuff in there too. I mean the, Yeah, there
1: it, was some good stuff I mean uh, the
0: sequence where they're trying to get away from the spiders was was an exciting sequence.
1: Yeah. Um I thought and it was cool th- to
0: have the and the, the chase with the X-Wing pilots was cool and then they come back mm-hmm. at the end and save the day. Yeah,
1: that was great too. And they they had looked him up too and they they let him off the hook basically. He offered them a bribe, you know, and they refused the bribe. They said just, you know, fix your comp thing. We know who you are now. Just try not to get yourself killed because of this stupid little tech issue that you don't have ready to go for in case other people are on patrol, you know. Um Um, and, but they, they didn't help him, but they also didn't hurt him. You know what I mean? And they didn't try to take the bribe either. So they're not completely unethical. So we know that, you know, he's not in great standing, but he's at least in good standing because, you know, because of past deeds that have come to roost, some good karma that had come his way, at least a little bit. Um, so that's important. But, and I, I think my favorite was when the woman programmed the, uh, the, the robot's face, the robot's head to interface with the, with the translator so that he could finally understand what she's saying. And her speech about, you know, you made a promise, you're Mandalorian. I thought that was one of the tenets of your
0: creed. And I guess she could also understand what he was saying.
1: Yeah, well, why not? I guess. She just, literally, physically, she couldn't form the phonemes to whatever. So she had to speak her own language. But that doesn't mean she's stupid. Oh, are you saying she
0: could always understand what he was saying? She
1: could always understand what they were saying, Why would you assume
0: that that she could understand him even though he couldn't understand her?
1: Because she was responding to him. And not only that, but when they were first introduced, I mean, she was traveling mobile, like, mobily. Like, how else did she get herself to communicate to the other woman and to the other people? Like, she wouldn't be able to function in a society if she couldn't at least make some, you know articulate some form of communication that she understands plus if she had been living off of off world away from her people for a long enough time you pick things up
0: yeah one of the things that's kind of interesting about star wars especially in places like Tatooine, though is that like what's called basic like what we would call english is often not the universal language—it's usually Huttese in places like this. Like, and that's why when the Mandalorian was trying to like trying to get something across, her, was like, "Do you speak Huttese?" Like, cause right. that's that's like the lingua franca. Lingua, I know, but franca, I'm thinking
1: know? I I bet you a million George Mars I don't know. But, but this Amy is Sedaris
0: me. was talking in Basic to her, so presumably, but she, but. Ter- turns out they weren't long-time friends either. She'd only met her, like, five minutes before. So right, Amy but she... C- but she might Sider- not have understood no, what Amy Sedaris was saying either, but... but
1: she she um, spoke, you know, frog language back to her, too, a couple times. I
0: guess there must have been so enough she, of an understanding right. for Amy Sedaris to know where she wanted to go and why. Right. So maybe she wrote it down for her? Like, the frog lady wrote it down if she couldn't communicate? I mean... Or maybe they got a protocol droid in there for five minutes and...
1: Well, she also... Amy Sedaris did speak frog to her. That's true, so, yeah, that's
0: true. That answers that, yeah. Um, but wait, why would Amy Sedaris have needed... haha, I've got you. Why would Amy Sedaris have needed to speak frog to her maybe if, to she under- if she understood English? Maybe if the to frog clarify a couple English. things. No, I don't think so. I think I've got you. I don't think the frog lady understands English. Otherwise, Amy Sedaris wouldn't have needed to speak frog to her.
1: Well, maybe I to clarify. Fun- I, like- no, I, I thought that's the humor not that's was not a fair be- thing. Hang on. Stop it. That's not fair. I'm, I'm a linguist, and you, you have examples in the West Wing... Even the West Wing, the show that you love so, so much, yeah, I know um, has examples. Say. Sometimes where, you yeah. switch
0: to the native language you to, to the, make sure you're 100% understood. Is what I'm critical saying. Critical points. Is yeah. what I'm saying. I just thought that the the humor was supposed to be that uh, once they were on the ship alone together, that neither of them could understand what what the heck the other one was saying. You but know what I would thought have that been was better? supposed to
1: be the humor. You wanna, uh, this is a point in the writing that I had. I don't mind that The Mandalorian doesn't understand her, but I did mind the lack of subtitles to make us understand her. It would have been nice to understand what she was trying to say and it was an opportunity Mm. for a little bit of comedy
0: i think that that's kind of the i think it's funnier if if we're in his shoes and again i think that's one of the things they're trying to Mm, i suppose that's comedy is that it's funnier if if we're in his shoes and neither us nor him have have any idea but then
1: we're laughing at her expense and i don't like that because she's not there's nothing wrong with her that's what i'm saying it's our
0: our guy's fault for not understanding her language it doesn't make her which
1: means that we could be laughing at him and not her
0: you know like, I don't think it's a question of laughing at her I think we're I just supposed to feel his bewilderment so that we so that we relate to him we can feel doing.
1: his bewilderment when he performs bewilderment we don't need to be completely ignorant of what it is that she's yeah, trying to say in fact sometimes Star fact, Wars uses subtitles and richer. other times it doesn't though. I know it would be richer experience for me this is all subjective of course but I'm kind of high and mighty about it because it doesn't put them on equal footing like we understand what he's saying we don't understand what she's saying which means that we're automatically kind of looking down on her at some point like subconsciously that's what we're wired to do sorry but we are know. i mean they didn't and, they and didn't second they off,
0: didn't subtitle the ewoks and jedi either like when our characters are supposed to be bewildered as to what's going on right but there are some key phrases the that ewoks. they
1: were able to communicate to us so that we were able to understand them and not only that but sometimes the protocol droid would translate for them so we were understanding them at least to make sure that i don't know we took them seriously whereas her for this entire episode you programmed serious characters well What's wrong with them? They have a little, they have, they're little and they're cute and they're fuzzy. They've got their little teddy bear society
0: fine. and they eat stormtroopers. But
1: Croopers. they do have a teddy bear society and they have sophisticated enough technology to get by with what they, they need. They got
0: sticks. They got drums. They
1: have a social structure.
0: They have hats. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> it's all a rich want? tapestry. Ugh. Should we move on to Star Trek? You're so
1: Dis- high and mighty. Should we move anyway, on to Star Trek Discovery? I think the most... No, I have one more thing to say. I didn't like the fact that the baby kept eating the little b- the other babies. That was horrifying. That was horrifying. To be Not fair, good.
0: they were unfertil- unfertilized, unfertilized yes, eggs. Yeah. Which I didn't realize until I thought about it later. Because, of course, I that was why like that. she was trying to get them to right. her mate so that he could fertilize them. But yeah. that makes it a little better. Only
1: a little better. Only a little better. Only a little. Yeah. Because I bet she's like got ideas and names for them already. I don't know. What do I know? She's got a final batch of spawn that have one last chance to procreate.
0: She's reaching frog menopause. And this is like her last, yeah. Yeah. Um, So it
1: matters. High stakes, you know?
0: Anyway. Um, So Star Trek Discovery? Yes, Star Trek Discovery. So this was like the big Adira Trill spotlight episode. So good. Um, Such a good episode. So Trill Society looks like they've held up pretty well. Well they're, enough. They're not quite as isolationist as Earth. Yeah. But then they, we discover they've got this secret problem yeah. where they're sh- seemingly short on... Hosts. Well, I, they're probably...
1: I looked it up. I looked it up to make sure. They're
0: probably short on both, right? Nope,
1: they're not. They have an overabundance of Well, of what, what I
0: mean is they lost both in the burn. They but, did. But ratiometrically, they lost more of... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if but, the, if the <laughs> ratio of, of potential... Trill host to symbiotes was a 1,000 to 1 before. Right. Then, and you lose, you know, 10% of your symbiotes and 50% of your hosts. Yeah. You know, you've lost both, but you're, you know, you've lost more ratio-wise hosts than you have. You know what I mean? Right. Because, I mean, even objectively, like, there were joined, there would have been joined Trill on some of those ships, and if they all just yeah. blew up, then you would have lost some of the symbiotes, too. Absolutely. Um. But a lot of them were. A lot of the symbiotes were probably close to home, or you know, we're on pl- various planets so, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So they've lost. They lost a lot of the people that could potentially um, host the symbiote. So now their their societal quandary is sort of flipped. Whereas before they had, it was the the it potential host had to compete mm-hmm. to see who would get a symbiote. Now they've got these symbiotes just sort of sitting around in the. Cre- the creepy slime caves. It's not
1: creepy. It's pretty.
0: It's well, it's a little creepy, um, but not enough people to join them with. And I guess what they learn here in this episode. So again, this is like it's a very Star Trekky thing, right? Like, do you keep, do you hold fast to your principles, traditional yeah. ways? Mm-hmm. Well, not your principles, like your old-fashioned traditional That's true, ways. Yeah. Or do you accept that your society needs to change in order to in order for your in order to survive in any form? Right? right. So they learned that they might have to investigate the possibility, which is represented by Adira, of non-trill hosting the symbiotes. Right. Just so that the, the symbiotes, symbiotes can survive and, and you know and
1: communicate like, with. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's a lot we don't know, right? Like, do they need to be in hosts? Like, would do they die if they don't find a new host after a year or something like that? Or was it just that the symbiotes would would because one of the main tenets of trill society. One of the things that their entire social structure is built around is exposing the the symbiotes via the hosts to of to varied life experiences. Mm-hmm. That's why yes. they have this rule where you're not supposed to get super close to people that you knew in the previous host. Right. Because then you just it would just become an old boys' club where you're hanging out with the same people for hundreds of years right. and the society would grow stagnant. Right. Um so I'm unclear on whether like there would actually be some physiological repercussion if they don't find hosts for the symbiotes or whether it's just that the society will eventually stagnate because nobody's going forth and acquiring new information and new skills right. and new life experiences to enrich history. their society, which is what their whole society has been structured around right. for who knows how many thousands of years. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot, you know, we only ever got the slightest bit of information about how their society works in a handful of episodes of Deep Space Nine. Right. And we get a little bit more here and but things are very much. different. But not We still don't this, have the full picture. You know, yeah. We don't know nearly as much about what they and value that, and so on as we do the Klingons the, or the Romulans or something right,
1: like that. Right. In one of the episodes, and this is this is bringing up a point that we made off mic, but I should bring it up again because in one of the episodes of Deep Space Nine, was it? It was actually made clear that it was uncovered that a whole bunch of people could be hosts um, because a lot more people were physically compatible than was previously than we were previously led to believe. Right, like there but was it an was entire a big, academy. It was a, a big cover up. It was a big cover but up. It was a big cover if up. The, if exactly. People
0: knew that that, like, any, almost, almost anybody could be, be a host. Joined, yeah. It would be, it would be anarchy because everybody would be trying to get it. Would want to, to yeah. So, but again, like this is as we've said before, being a thousand years in the future, or nine hundred, or eight hundred and fifty, or however many years after Deep Space maybe Nine, maybe the cover up worked and nobody. Well, knows. well, that's the thing. Like that's again. a long time. Like yeah. any number of things could have happened. Is maybe the cover up was so total that now there's nobody left alive who even remembers that that it's is the true. truth. Yeah. Or it could be that things have changed, that evolution has happened. Their their biology and you know,
1: and it's really a like thousand only years is a, a thousand years is a merge. long time,
0: and and it's possible that over that time, yeah, the, the number of people that could be potential hosts has dwindled. Yeah, like if you if you perpetuate that that lie for long enough, yes, um, it begins to affect like selective, the selective breeding of the population, and maybe eventually you start to breed out if it's not being selected for maybe you're breeding out the qualities that allow a large swath of the population to be hosts maybe so maybe over the course of those thousand years the percentage has gone from 90 to 50 to 10 and now most of those people die and you have got one percent
1: right i still this is this kills me but all of the leaders up there didn't seem like they were joined hosts do you know what i mean like the leaders of trill were were really looking for joined hosts. They they thought that they were like the most sacred of the sacred to find a joined trill, um, and it seems to me that all of them were trying to keep everything going, but not single one of them was actually joined. Yeah. Now we didn't get a lot of exposure to them, so we don't know that for certain. That was
0: the sense I got. That but that we is joined. the sense
1: that I got because even the leader, the um, the one that banished them in the first place, um, she was, she was saying. That she would love to be a mentor to Adira now that, um, you know, that she's started on this path. But even she didn't really list her own names, as it were. She didn't really exemplify yeah, that. Yeah, the vast she majority of the trill that we meet. Joined in that moment, and you think that that would be the time too.
0: The hmm. vast majority of the trill that we meet are not joined. Yeah, like you could count on one hand the number of joined trill that we meet. I mean, when like when Esri went home into her family of like five or six people, she was the only one. Right. You know, with the on- the only other joined trill we saw other than. I'm trying to think. Did we see anyone other than Dax, except for Susanna Thompson's character, right? In that one episode, and that was they like just the, referenced
1: a previous one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was exactly. the spouse
0: of a previous host. But I think is that, are those the only joined, joined trill? No, we
1: saw we saw one more. Um, Jonathan Glover's
0: character, but that was the same one. That was oh. he took Dax. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I think we literally have only seen now counting Call three trill symbiotes.
1: Um, in and all of Star Trek. What about TNG?
0: Well, that, but that was weird. I mean,
1: that was a weird one, but that was our first introduction yes, for, to trill. Yes, for
0: counting that. But I mean, that was what? like a proto. That was like a prototype for what the trill would be. Because yeah. I mean, it's technically canon, but they it had is they canon, used but they they, it out, they, they have as much in common with the trill would later be as like TOS era Klingons do with, you know. Right. Yeah. Not just mm-hmm. in terms of the makeup, but in terms of like what their culture was all about, and what right. they wore, and how they spoke, and what they valued. Like, there's almost nothing in common there. And you could try to like <laughs> we don't it, talk
1: about explain it. Explain <laughs>
0: it after the fact. But the original TOS era Klingons weren't all about honor and all that stuff. They no. were like they were just like they the were. Bad guys. Yeah. yeah, they were war hungry. Or
1: they, at least that, that's how that they presented All that was
0: retrofitted in the movies and TNG and so on when they made it all about honor. Yeah. But, and it's the same thing with the trail. And oh, like the first Ferengi episode where they were like hissing, yeah. animalistic, and they had the energy whips, and they wore furs, and they were all about I like remember, enslaving yeah. women and, and battling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there was like nothing about money, no, yeah, nothing. or finance in there anywhere. Like it's these alien races have a weird start, and yeah, then, sometimes you know yeah. they they home in on them later, so you can't really hold the earliest. But I mean, I would imagine they had that TNG episode in mind when they yeah, because having the, a human um, host talking. to a trill is not unprecedented. Mm-hmm. So I imagine they had that in mind. Um, but this is also obviously a really strong episode for Adira
1: yeah because so good. she
0: gets to have this whole experience and we learn her backstory where she had this boyfriend gray mm-hmm. who was the next so he got the so I gotta again we got we're on pronoun watch here because Adira is still identifying as she yep gray the actor playing gray is the first transgendered mm-hmm. main character in Star Trek yeah but he transitioned from female to male. Yeah. I would assume. Yes. And so we would refer to him as he. So I gotta make sure I get get all that right. Um but yeah, so so they were a couple and I guess he got the trill he got the symbiote, I guess, like a couple of years ago or something when the admiral
1: yeah, was away. in that accident.
0: Yep. He got it. He had it for a short period of time and then there was an accident on the ship they were on. Yep. Um and then it had to go to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole scene with the, their scenes were really
1: so good were really nice oh.
0: and the idea now is that I think that he cuz he is credited he is like given equal billing to um the act, the actor playing Blue. Uh, Adira yeah um they are both I'm not sure I if don't remember I'm not Blue's sure if they're b- name, I'm, I'm not sorry. sure if they're blo- both full series regulars or recurring but regardless they are, they are credited on equal billing because i think the idea is like they're a set now mm-hmm. like we might not see him in every episode right we see her in but right. we're going to see him a lot yeah. you know like i'm not sure if that's just like for this se- like assuming the character sticks around for next season yeah. the adira character i'm not sure if that will continue on forever or if it's just like a season long thing you know right? but Until- i think it's, but it but it's interesting because like it's presumably because there's some weird quirk of the fact that she's not trill, right? And so, like, it didn't, they didn't fully, the personalities didn't fully integrate into her psyche in the same way. But again, this has precedence because even with Dax, we, oh, even yes. though, even though, even oh, though she, even though yes. she had the personalities fully integrated, mm-hmm. we know that there are multiple rituals mm-hmm. amongst the trill that mm-hmm. allow those personalities to be segmented out again, right? Like the one where, oh. She Every one of my personalities will be hosted in a different one of my friends, yes. right? Or the one later as she does, Esri does when they need to when she needs to solve a series of murders on the yeah. station and she like undergoes this thing where the one of her previous hosts that was a murderer, she can like literally see them and talk to them. Yeah. So there's so even though the personalities are all part of the symbiote and are theoretically like fused with the host personality in a way, yeah. they're still able to be the that that integration is not permanent. They can be separated out again. Right. So, again, this is not without precedence. And we've seen, you know, as a, as a visual um, conceit for the viewer in that Esri Dax episode, we could see her talking to another actor who yeah. was personifying that previous host. Yes. So... This is a thing that can happen to Trill. And I imagine there's probably like a history amongst the Trill of like maybe if they suffer some sort of psychotic break, they start to see their like, you can kind of see if it's a thing that can be done intentionally, it probably sometimes happens, happens accidentally. Unintentionally. Yeah. So again, even that is not without precedent in this. And so it's like an interesting thing where she has his memories and personality. Like she obviously, it's it's not he's not separate in her head yeah because she can still she could still play the instrument he was playing right yes so it's not like he is not a part of her he is but at the same time he he is made separate to her in her mind right right so it's an interesting way of going about it um i I don't know whether where they're going with that it's it's a definitely an interesting setup for the character yeah and I think the actor did a good job the actor playing Adira did a good job of like when when she steps out of the pool yeah you can tell that okay now it's like you know what I mean like it's it's the sort of thing we saw when when someone would get like when John Glover got the Dax symbiote they were all nebbishy and nervous and And skittish before and their body language completely changed this poise and confidence yes so that, that She's was She's really carrying
1: well the history, and the inside. scene where, it's and the scene so where good. she sees
0: all the previous hosts, and they're and there's oh, like p-
1: open crying, different me. people we from di- like, different walks up. of life, and yep.
0: they're, they're, where a bunch of them are wearing like different star, different, different star era, from different f- eras. F- yes. like there's one from the Picard area, era era, <laughs> and there's one which is like the, the Admiral the Admiral yeah. so we're seeing what I assume the uniforms that when they meet up with Starfleet I guess in the next episode they they'll might probably those be wearing again. that episode because yeah. that guy was presumably wearing that uniform when a couple died. of years ago yeah. when he died yeah. then again Starfleet does change their uniforms very frequently so who I knows um, well,
1: I don't think they have the resources but for I think that kind of was wearing. Right I now. think
0: he was wearing the new com badge where it's the delta inside the oval like we see yeah. in the opening titles yeah. Yeah. so I think that that's, that was supposed to be like the modern you know like the 32nd century version mm-hmm. Yeah, really well done. I mean, I've seen people saying like this is their favorite episode of the show. Like I'm not sure I would go that far. Like this this was definitely a very good episode and it it, it you know, definitely very Star Treky. Like it really yeah. reminded me of those Dax episodes from DS9. Yeah. Um
1: It was so good and it was so well executed oh, too. Oh.
0: And we should also talk about like all the the stuff back on the ship, right? So, I mean, sto- storytelling-wise, arc-wise, mm-hmm. the the uh the red the red murder spheres um knowledge has now seemingly integrated with the computer oh yes and i guess we're seeing the first the first inklings of sentience yes that will later become the zora personality Mm -hmm. in a thousand years from the calypso short um
1: well not a thousand years from now
0: well from the perspective of the ship because the ship said said she had been abandoned by her crew a thousand years before from her from oh. her perspective, she'd been left alone for a 1,000 years. So does that mean that short took place in the 42nd century? Oh, no. Does it mean that they send Discovery back in time to the Kirk era? Uh-huh. Um, and then it has to wait? Like Doctor Who, right? Like right. they send it to back in time a 1,000 years, and then and she has to wait for them to come back and yeah. get her. Like that could be it. Who knows? But she was left alone to do nothing but evolve for a 1,000 years. Right. right? Um, oh. So we're seeing the first inklings of that here. We got... Um, we get another Star Trek tradition, which is like the the really awkward dinner party, a scene yes. in like the undiscovered country and several other instances, uh, where they had the Klingons over, right? Oh yeah, much better in the original Klingon. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, so good. But
0: but that was really, I mean, that was a, a, obviously a very awkward scene. Yeah. But I think I like the whole. It was cathartic. I like the needed whole arc happen. of the, and this is a great episode for Culber too. Oh, like my God, I think yeah. I think this this really gave me a really strong sense of like I liked the Culbert character before because yeah. the actor is so charismatic yeah. and he's such a sweet character but like seeing him do, like w- do his job so well and not even like technically his job because he's not I mean for all we know he has also some training in like
1: mental so, health you know like sure m- I mean that could be a well-rounded And they even will, will we even at at ask
0: him. will we even ask him like are we seeing the first Inkling of course now they're stranded a thousand yeah. years in the future so he, he can't, ex- really he can't exactly go to Starfleet command and oh. say by the way I think you should start having counselors on <laughs> yeah. board because um yeah. But I think what we're seeing here is, yeah, like, they didn't have counselors on board back then. Yeah. and And so the doctors, God forbid, like, can you imagine McCoy, McCoy? T- <laughs> trying, trying to trying to be a touchy-feely um, counselor type? No. Um, but Culber's really great at it. Yeah. And I think that, like, yeah, if, that, if they, they start to lean into that more, because seeing mm-hmm. him just be a doctor, like, we've seen doctors in Star Trek a million times, but, yeah. like, a doctor who's also, like, the shoulder that you lean on. Yeah. Like... I mean, people would like, people would like confide in flocks sometimes. Yeah. And obviously Bashir had close relationships with some of the other characters, but the Doctor, I don't, they can't really think of another Star Trek show where the Doctor would be like the character that the other characters would come to, to to like.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: To like pour their hearts out, you know, or like get life advice or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was never like on TNG, obviously it would be Troy or they would come to Picard for like more fatherly advice. Right. Right. Um. Usually, yeah, usually they, like, talk to their friends or go to the captain if it's, like, a big important thing. But, but yeah, but I think that that's an interesting role for him. And he's obviously really good at it. Mm Mm-hmm the way that he navigates it and, and I love like in the, the ready room when he talked about when they were all like reciting haikus at dinner yes. and he messes up yeah. like in his mind in he, the actor's mind he he messed up intentionally to like let the tension out a little bit and let everybody know it was a safe space and it would be okay for right. them to be a little freer with yeah it. I
1: thought that that was a very clever observation from an acting perspective it doesn't really come across
0: point. in the episode but right. like whatever helps you get there whatever. And, like, if that, if <laughs> I that thought that was clever your I thought
1: that was exactly I thought it was a nice observation because he's absolutely right I think his character is so competent so skilled that who who better equipped to come up with a haiku on the fly like he could absolutely do it but then he made the choice to sort of flub it just a bit in order to show people that everybody can be infallible like uh, um, not everybody is infallible sorry it's like everybody can screw up every now and then not everybody
0: not everybody can't can't be infallible oh
1: you funny man okay (laughs) you know what i'm saying like everybody can screw up every now and then and it's okay and um i think that was a really cute Example, I actually really love that moment for another reason. Nobody mentioned it in the ready room or anywhere else. But I actually love that when he messed up that line, he looks to Stamets like, oh, I screwed that up.
0: Yeah, you know super, that's such
1: a that's such a you and me kind of thing yeah, to do. That's such cu- a couplely in this episode, yes. even when
0: Stamets is being a jerk. Because Stamets yeah. is a bit of a jerk. remember yeah. how much a, of a jerk he was when the series started. Oh my god! He sort of mellowed a little bit after he took a lot of shrooms. Um, <laughs> sure, <laughs> but but that <laughs> yes. jer- that jerkiness still comes. Like he is supposed to be, he is supposed to be the prickly one. <laughs> yes, in he that is. relationship, and yeah. Culber is supposed to be the one that kind of like soothes, soothes the savage mm-hmm. beast a little bit. You know, yeah. like he's he's the he's the prickly, retentive scientist, and Culber is like the you know he's the heart he's the the the, heart yeah yeah. um but yeah that was great and he's the
1: libra in the relationship the way that they had
0: this like low-key arc with with detmer throughout these first few episodes it seemingly kind of comes to a culmination here culbernation Um, (laughs) very
1: nice very nice i thought that it was interesting her haiku was not so much her (laughs) her haiku no seriously she was she lost it she it was almost like involuntarily word spasm. Yeah, she
0: was having. The, she was having. She a was moment. having like a fugue state a, or something, like a bit Like, a a disassociation. like she yeah. probably like was having almost an out of body experience. Like she was not in control of what she was saying at that moment.
1: Right, and it was oh man, it was, it was so it was it, it was, was beautifully, It was kind
0: of chilling it in the was. way that like somebody actually having real being in real distress in front of you can be like arresting, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, It was beautifully directed in that moment. She did a fantastic job performing it. I just really love that moment because not just the whole scene. I love the whole dinner scene. I thought it was wonderful. I I thought it was Tilly. Holy crap. Captain Tilly in the making. Can we just say? Because she wasn't. (sighs) Tilly sometimes loses herself to her emotions, but she didn't that time. She said. She said something emotional, but she had full command of how she said it and how she presented it. And it was calm enough to actually reach people. So even though she was hurt and even though she was frustrated, she still had such a presence to be able to reach the rest of the room. She said, you think you are the only ones that have, what is it, um what is she what was the exact word that she used she like a whole the only ownership of pain like you think you you're the only ones in the room that feel it like we all everybody in this room and she didn't make it about herself she didn't make it about her mom she didn't make it about all the friends that she was mourning when she and Burnham were talking in the hallway she did not make it about herself and that was such a captain-y move that I noticed in the writing and in the in the way Mary Wiseman performed it too um it was about the rest of the room and think about others. It wasn't about think about me. It was me too. It was think about others. And that was such a Captain-y thing to do. Like, this show is really setting her up to be Captain Material. Like, we've seen hints of it before, but oh my gosh. Like, Captain Tilly in the rise. Like, hashtag Captain Tilly. She's great. Um, such good writing. I wanted to call out one other moment back to the Trill. Because the guy that helped them... The guy in the red robe that helped them was such a great and empathetic presence. Um, I just wanted to call out, like, acting chops-wise, there was one particular moment that I felt very madly in love with the character and the way he was performing it. It was so well done. When he was escorting Adira and then Michael out of the pit, he had such emotion and reverence and respect and gratitude on his face when he helped Michael out of the pool because she's the one that saved the trill she's the one that went into the pit into the unknown to get Adira back to get Adira back to herself and get Adira back to her people and the the emotion that was written on his face without a single word was so beautiful that I I just wanted to call it out and send it out into the universe I saw it I saw you that was a great moment. That was a beautiful, beautiful facial expression, and it really reached me, and it was good. Anyway, breathtaking episode. I really loved it. How about you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm tearing up. It's one of the best ones I've ever seen. It really is. It's so good. It's such good writing. Oh. I love the writing stuff on this show I really do <laughs> okay is that it mm-hmm is that all we got yep okay so if you want to reach out to the show we have an email address mailbag at smartspodcast.com our twitter handle is at podcast. on facebook it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast and our website is www.smartspodcast.com how about a funny sound for us I don't have one I'm trying to think of something trill related but it's not coming so I'll just do this
0: ooh. there's spots ooh yeah. Yep.